grace is a wonderful, wonderful word. In fact, the, the word grace appears 155 times in the New Testament. And 130 of those times, the word grace was written by the Apostle Paul. It seemed like Paul opened every one of his letters with the word grace and the word grace sort of dominated the theme grace dominated his letters and it it seemed like a lot of his letters ended with grace so grace was a big part of Paul's life because you see Paul was a sinner too a terrible sinner a persecutor of believers a persecutor of the New Testament church but he had an experience with the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus And he was gloriously saved and changed and called to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to say three things to you today out of this wonderful text in Titus chapter 2 verses 11 through 14. It all centers around this idea, this theme of grace. Number one, by grace we are redeemed. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, the Bible says, For the grace of God has appeared or or manifested itself or or come out of the shadows into into the light, bringing salvation to all men. Look at verse 14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. You see, God's grace toward us is based solely on God's love and our total inability to save ourselves. God's grace is a gift. We can never earn or deserve this amazing gift of God's grace. God sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to redeem those who were in bondage to sin. This salvation is for all men who will receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. You know, I hope and pray that all of you in this room and all of those watching live stream today, I hope and pray that you've been redeemed by Jesus. I hope and pray that you've been a recipient of his marvelous, infinite, amazing grace and that all your sins have been forgiven and separated from you as far as the east is from the west. That's the grace of God. And the only way God could ever forgive us is with the Lord Jesus Christ, by his grace, going to the cross of Calvary and dying for our sins. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 to 6, Paul hits on this idea of grace and the, the power of the cross of Christ. Again, he says... This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony given at the proper time. Let let me say this. Every person in this room, every person watching live stream, every person who is alive today on this planet 
needs to be saved. And God has only provided one way for you to be saved, and that's through Jesus. Jesus said, for I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Paul explained this salvation when he wrote these important words in verse 14. Look at verse 14 again. Speaking of Jesus, who gave himself for us. He gave himself for us. You could put your name. If you had a pencil right now, that little pronoun us, you could put your name above that little pronoun. Jesus gave himself for you. It's perfectly okay for you to personalize that. He gave himself for you. He died for our sins. That's what it means. You see, Jesus was sinless and perfect. He kept God's holy law the whole time. He never sinned, not even one time. And therefore, he was able to go to the cross of Calvary and die in our place and die for our sins so that we could be forgiven. Peter hit on this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, when he said, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. Now look at verse 14 again. Paul explained that the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. But what does the word redeem mean? Well, redeem means to set free by paying a price. Now in 1 Timothy text we looked at a moment ago, the Bible says that Jesus paid a ransom for us. What was that ransom? It was his own body and blood. That's why we're here today to celebrate the Lord's Supper, to remember Christ's death on the cross for us. You see, Jesus said that when we sin, we become a slave of sin. Sin will get in our hearts. Sin will become the master of our lives if we don't do something about it. If we do not turn to Jesus in saving faith, sin will eat our lunch. That's exactly what it will do. But Jesus came to redeem us, to set us free from sin once and for all, and to help us to walk in victory. Through Jesus, uh, you could have victory over any bondage to lust, alcohol, jealousy, gossip, etc. Don't miss the scope of the victory here. I love this statement that God in his infinite grace has included every lawless deed in the redemption that Jesus provided for us through his blood. Now, I want you to think just a moment about the sins you've committed in your life. I want you to think about the most heinous of those sins. You say, Pastor, are you sure everybody here is a sinner? Absolutely. I promise you, on the authority of God's word, I can tell you that everybody within the sound of my voice is a sinner. And I'm telling you, based upon the authority of God's word, that the most heinous sins of your life are covered by the redemption that Jesus offered for us through his blood on the cross of Calvary. Every lawless deed. I tell you, that is a wonderful, wonderful thought 
that Paul includes in this wonderful text. Let me ask you, have you repented of your sins? Have you received Jesus as your Savior by faith? If you have, then you need to know that Jesus has set you free from the bondage of sin. He has forgiven all of your sins. He's removed every scintilla of guilt that you might experience in your life because of stuff you've done in your life. God has forgiven you completely. That's grace, friend. That's amazing grace. So by God's grace, number one, we are redeemed. Number two, by God's grace, we are reformed. We are reformed. When we are truly saved, Jesus sets us free from bondage to sin that we have struggled with. The grace of God that makes possible our redemption also makes possible our reform so that he begins to make us godly in the image of Jesus Christ, our Lord. The New Testament theologians call this sanctification. It's a process that we enter into once we are redeemed. In Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, Paul wrote, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Notice this, verse 12, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Notice here that grace is said to be instructing us, teaching us, disciplining us. And we are disciplined by God's grace to do two things, to say no. Number one, to say no. Do you realize that by the grace of God, you can say no to things that will dishonor the Lord Jesus Christ and will eventually hurt you and your family. Paul informs believers that they can say no to ungodliness. This literally means that we can completely, once and for all, detach ourselves from anything that proves to be irreverent or, or to bring shame or, or, or dishonor to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize you have that power? As a born-again believer, you have received the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you can say no to any sin that is absolutely destroying you. It could be alcohol. It could be a lot of different things, but you can say no. He further says that you can say no to worldly desires. Now, worldly desires are those passions that are inflamed by the secular world's attractions. This world and its values are enemies of God's grace. But I've got good news for you as a born-again believer, as someone who's been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, someone who has received the unmerited grace of God, the unmerited favor of God, you can say no to worldly desires. You can say no to ungodliness. But there's another side of this, not only the negative side, but there's a positive thing you can do. See, if you're truly redeemed by the blood of Jesus, you can say yes to some things too. 
Look, look at here. He, believers can say yes to living sensibly. But what does it mean to live sensibly? It means to exercise self-control and to keep your passions and desires in check. You realize that the power of the resurrection of Christ, the power of his grace enables you to say yes to living sensibly and not living insensibly. That's an amazing thing. And, and you can say yes to living righteously. It's right here in the text. That is, you can live according to God's righteous standards. In other words, look, here, here's what it is, very simply. You can do the right thing. You have the power through the resurrection of Christ, through the death of Christ on the cross, through the power of the cross, you can say yes to doing the right thing and no to doing the wrong thing. And then he finally says that you can say yes to living godly. Believers live in such a way that God is pleased. Let me ask you a question. In the last week, have you ever thought about what your life could be like if you only lived each day to please God? Now, can I tell you, you'll never be able to please everybody in this world. May I tell you, you'll never be able to please everybody in your family. You'll never be able to please everybody in the church. You'll never be able to please everybody at work. Teenagers, you'll never be able to please everybody at school. But I can tell you this, you can live in such a way that you can please the God of heaven. That's what it means to live godly. Look at verse 14 again. Speaking of Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. So notice two things here in the last part of verse 14. Jesus, through his grace and mercy, purifies us for himself. We're a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And if you're a born-again believer, if you've received Jesus as your Savior and Lord, if you've been redeemed, then I want you to understand that you are a part of the body of Christ. You are part of the bride of Christ. And he has purified you for a reason. Notice, it also says he makes you zealous for good deeds. That word zealous literally means eager. Can I ask you, are you eager to do good deeds that bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus? Are you eager to share the gospel with somebody? Are you eager to help somebody that has a desperate need in their lives? Are you eager for good deeds? I, I promise you this, according to the Bible here, according to Paul's word, through the grace of God, he purifies you for his own possession and he makes you eager to do good deeds, good works that bring honor and glory to God and expand his glorious kingdom. Oh, listen, it's a wonderful thing to be a recipient of God's grace. Aren't you glad that you have received God's grace? That would be a good place for an amen. Aren't you glad that you've received, I feel like Anna up here. Aren't you glad that you have received God's grace? My goodness. 
Now listen, God's grace does three things in our lives. Number one, God's grace redeems us. God's grace reforms us. Now listen, number three, God's grace rewards us. It rewards us. Look at verse 13. I'm sure you wondered why I skipped that verse, but I I kept it for, for the grand ending. Okay, look at it. Looking for, let's just begin with verse 11 and read the whole thing. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Hey, the world we live in today is a broken, fallen world. Now, in in our study in Genesis, we've discovered that it all began when Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden. And things have only gotten progressively worse. Our world is characterized by abject hatred and division. Our world is characterized by economic despair. Our world is characterized by moral madness. Our world is characterized by lawless anarchy. Our world is characterized by extreme violence. Our world is characterized by spiritual emptiness. Can we really have hope in a world like this? Now, the word hope here literally means a confident expectation. Can we have hope in a world like that? Absolutely. All we have to do is look back to the appearing of Christ in grace and look ahead to the appearing of Christ in glory. It's right here in our text. You need to know, listen, you need to know that the Lord Jesus is coming again. You need to know that this world one day is going to be transformed by the power of the coming of Christ. You need to know that Jesus promised he was coming. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 to 31, Jesus told his disciples, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds and from one end of the sky to the other. My friend, I promise you this, based upon God's word, God's promise, Jesus will come victoriously. Jesus will come gloriously. And Jesus will come powerfully. Jesus is coming again and he's coming to take over. He's coming not as a a savior who will go to the cross and be resurrected from the dead, but he's coming as a king who will reign forever and ever and ever. And the Bible says in Revelation that one day the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And if you've been redeemed, if he is reforming you, then he's going to reward you with a place in that kingdom with a place of service and you will be with him forever and ever and ever. My goodness, what a reward. 
Now, Paul wrote these words for the church in Corinth prior to the, uh, we, we, we studied these prior to the uh, observing of the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27 and 28, the Bible says, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat the bread and drink of the cup. Now, in light of God's grace, I want you, before we observe the Lord's Supper, I want you to examine your own heart. I don't want you to examine your spouse's heart. I don't want you to examine your friend's heart. I don't want you to examine uh, 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 another person's heart. I want you to examine your own heart. I want, to ask, I want you to ask three questions. Number one, have you been redeemed? Have you? If you were to die tonight, are you absolutely for sure you'd go to heaven? Why, if I were not sure of that, I would not leave this building today until I repented of my sin and placed my faith in Jesus. Because I'm telling you, friend, this world is counting down to the day of Christ's coming. The Bible says that your life is, is like a vapor. It's here one moment and gone the next. And you need to be ready. Are you ready? So if you're, if you're not ready, if you've never been redeemed, I'm going to ask our staff to come now, our worship team to come. And we're going to have a moment where you can respond, where you can receive Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. But I've got another question for you. Are you being reformed? Can you, can you see in Jesus in, in your life where the power of the grace of God is changing you, is making you more like Jesus, is helping you to say no to certain things and helping you say yes to certain things? I want to encourage you. Maybe God's dealing with your heart about an area of your life that's totally out of God's will. Just come to this altar and bow before the Lord. Ask the Lord to examine you and repent and confess that sin to him. I encourage you to do it. Then final question. If you're a born-again believer, if you've been redeemed and you're being reformed, are, are you anticipating being rewarded when Jesus comes? Do you look forward to Jesus' return? I know I do. I can't wait to see Jesus. I can't wait to see his glory, to see his power, to see the victory that will be his when he comes. I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you so much for your grace. I thank you that the Lord Jesus demonstrated that grace and provided through that grace the salvation that we enjoy today. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would move in the hearts of men, women, boys, and girls. And I pray that lives will be changed, that souls will be saved, that you would be honored and glorified as we examine our hearts. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name.